Let's pray as we get into the word. Father, thank you for your word. Help us, Lord. Be open. Help us, Father, to keep you center of our lives. That we will never replace that center position with anything else, not with a fear, not with anxiety, not with depression, not even with other hopes. But Lord, that you will be the one around which we live and we build our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Gratitude is a biblical mandate. It's impossible to live biblically without also live, living thankfully. The lack of gratitude is a sign of something. The lack of gratitude shows me something about myself. The lack of gratitude is a sign that I've lost my understanding or I lack understanding of what I actually deserve, which is justice. As a sinner, born in sin, who have lived a life of sin, I deserve nothing less than hell. So, realizing that I deserve only justice, and I compare this justice to what God actually gave me, which is grace. If I lose sight of what I deserve and what I've received, I will always end up being ungrateful for what I have. And this is the ingratitude that causes a person to think that they are always owed more than what they truly deserve. This is, because, this is when people become, you know, bratish. You know, like people thinking that they deserve more than what they actually deserve because they lose sight of who they really are. We are man, fallen, saved by the grace of God. Not because we deserve to be saved, but because God's been good to us. It's because He loved us. So today, however, I've been cornered in a way. I've been put in checkmate. There's no way else for me to turn. There's no, no other move for me to make except this that I have to do today. I'm going where I must go because there's nowhere else. This is Thanksgiving week. But this is a different Thanksgiving week. It's Thanksgiving 2020. That's what this is. So I initially planned to continue with our short series on faith that saves or saving faith, but I can't. It's Thanksgiving. And then I figured, well, I'll try to encourage everybody with being thankful, but then that sounded lame, considering the fact that, again, you and I were told this week that we have to go and hide, hide away. And this, that you've just been told to go hide away again, is the biggest thing on people's minds. And here I'm telling you, be thankful and you have to be thankful in all things, not for all things, but be thankful. However, we have to deal with the reality of where we are at again this week. <clears throat> Almost seemingly having no end in sight. We're told again to stay home, not to go out. We are told to avoid traveling during Thanksgiving. Thanks for visiting us all the way from Arizona. Love you guys. So nice to see you, by the way. <laughs> God bless you. <clears throat> Good old friends of ours. We are told uh, to social distance. All of this in the name of what? In the name of love. In the name of empathy. If you had any empathy, you go lock yourself away. If you had love for your neighbor, you would go lock yourself away. Don't see them. Don't be around them. Be away from everybody so you can love them. This is the message you and I have been receiving. This is a message we've lived with for a while now. But however, what I would like to present is that these lockdowns obviously have a tremendous measure of evil outcomes in people's lives. We think we're being good to them, but evil, evil comes into their life because of it. I'll just mention a few, and I would love for you to stick around, stay tuned, don't tune me out because I do believe that there's something in here for you and I. 
Please don't misunderstand me, but please hear my heart. Relational outcomes could include, due to these lockdowns, due to these, the cruelty of a quarantine, relationally and relationship outcomes could include loneliness and isolation, and they certainly have. These lockdowns and these cruel quarantines have resulted in psychological outcomes, which could include fear, and they have, depression, and they definitely have, and certainly anxiety in people's lives. These quarantines have outcomes, financial outcomes, which could include bankruptcy, and they have, poverty, and they are. The list continues on and on, and I can keep mentioning things of cruelty upon cruelty, sorrow upon sorrow. But I want you to understand that to be a faithful pastor or under-shepherd of God's people in this church, I have a few things that I have to remind you of. The first thing I want to say that if I'm not your pastor, please don't be offended. It's okay. If I am your pastor and you are offended miss or misunderstand what I'm saying today, please talk to me. You have my number. You have my email address. Um, and you can certainly talk to me one-on-one. -on -one. But as a pastor, it's impossible for me to be faithful without also addressing the very greatest pressures that are on people's lives. So here are some of the things I want to remind you of. Number one, that if there is a place where there should be no fear at all whatsoever except for God, there should be zero fear of man, zero fear of anything in life except for our fear for God. If there's any place where this is true, it should be right here within the kingdom of God, the body of Christ, the people that belong to Him. Psalm 112 verse 7 says, He is not afraid of bad news. In other words, you are not afraid of bad news. Why? Because your heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. The person whose heart is not firm, trusting in the Lord, is the person who fears bad news. It's not saying that you will never receive bad news. It says you will never fear the bad news you receive. Why? Because you're firm. How did you get there? Your heart is firm. How did you get there? By trusting in your sovereign God who has your hand in the palm or your life in the palm of His hand. Number two, if there is a place where a biblical definition of love should be practiced, it is right here. Now, the world can practice their definition of love, and they do. But if there's anywhere a place in this world where a biblical definition of love should be practiced, it is here within the body of Christ. In 1 John 4, 9, the Bible says, but, this, but by this the love of God was revealed in us. By this the love of God was revealed in us. And then it explains Jesus coming to save us. We understand the biblical definition of love. And if anybody can define it and practice it, it should be us. And if our practicing of biblical love looks the same as the world's practicing of biblical love, then we have to revisit our definition of what love looks like. Make sense? If we look just like the world when we love our neighbor... If it looks exactly like the world, then how are we different? We're not. That means they understand biblical love and they enforce and practice biblical love, which is certainly not the case. Number three, if there's a place where sane thoughts are celebrated, discernment is championed, and the Bible definition of truth is elevated, it is right here in the body of Christ, the church of the living God. It is the church of the living God that is the pillar and the foundation of truth. 1 Timothy 3.15. The pillar and the foundation of truth. Why is this important for me to understand? Because we cannot, in good conscience, live outside of biblical truth. Let me put it to you this way. The world has a truth, their truth, a subjective truth. Their experience is what's truth to them. Their opinion is what's truth to them. What they have learned from themselves is truth to them. 
They come up with their truth, and that's fine. It's subjective truth. But you and I, we cannot live with subjective truth with a clear conscience. In order for our consciences to be clear, we have to live by objective truth. It has to come not from us or subject to our emotions or our experiences, but it's objective. It comes to us from the Word of God. That is truth to us, no matter how we feel. That is truth to us, no matter what we've experienced. That is truth to us, no matter what the news media says. This is truth to us. And I'm concerned the body of Christ has started entering the classrooms of social media, the classroom of mainstream media. This is not where you find truth. That is not your teacher, your professor, your educator. That is not your shepherd, your leader, your, your guide. It is the Holy Spirit that guides you. How? According to scriptures. Right? We find our truth to stand upon and live by. To stand upon and live by where? Objectively from scriptures. No other truth matters. I don't care what the experience has been. And because there's this great divide because, between subjective truth and objective truth, now people can embrace and submit and live their subjective truth. And if they feel like they are a different gender today, that is not truth to them. That's his truth or her truth, and that is what's so insane. But we, not so. The Bible says that the church of Jesus Christ, in other words, those living within the framework, framework of scriptures, is the very pillar and foundation of truth. So we cannot, with all good conscience, just kind of throw caution to the wind and say, oh, let me, let me see what this news outlet's saying about that disease and what this news outlet's saying about this problem and that problem. And oh my God, the sky is falling. And then give ourselves to that. Satan's plan for you. It's Satan's plan for you. And I'm concerned the church has bought into it, hook, line, and sinker. So today I'm speaking to those who, well, who need to hear it. Unto this end, I would like to build a scriptural case. So please follow me for, with this and understand what I'm attempting to say. First, realize that God has called us to love our neighbors. Scripturally, Mark 12 31. God has called us to encourage and exhort one another. Hebrews 3.13. God has called us not to neglect the gathering together of the saints. Hebrews 10.25. When they gather at church, when they gather around the table for Thanksgiving, when they gather for Hanukkah, when they gather for Christmas, do not neglect the gathering together of the saints. The Bible, or God, calls us to visit the orphan and the widow. The Bible calls us to weep with those who weep. And with rejoice, to rejoice with those who rejoice. Romans 12, 15. The Bible calls us, Ephesians 4, 16, to be a family of believers. A family of believers. All joined together as part of the same body. Joined together. Now, I can go on and on. It'll take me hours to finish explaining the togetherness we as a body have been called to by God. I've even thought of putting together a list of scriptural directives or scriptural demands or commands that cannot under any circumstances be obeyed during COVID guidelines. If you had to take the COVID guidelines, Illinois COVID guidelines or, or Gavin Newsom's guidelines or, you know, anybody's guidelines, for most part, especially these draconian guidelines, you can actually come up with very long lists of scriptures that cannot be obeyed in order to obey those guidelines. In order to obey those guidelines, you have to break all these scriptures, at least for now. Somehow, all of what God has called us to do has become very complicated because you shouldn't, you shouldn't hurt grandma. You should love your neighbor. Where's your empathy? What's wrong with you, Christian? Don't you love? 
So somehow all of what God has called us to do has become so complicated. It's being, become cold and impersonal. Just zoom them rather. Greet them through a window. It's become difficult. It's become almost impossible to fulfill all of what God has called us in the name of COVID. So I want you to understand just what I'm looking at. So I'm encouraging and inviting you, please come and stand in my shoes just for a little bit. A pastor that oversees a congregation, people who have hearts, who have families, who have lives, who used to have businesses, no longer do, who used to have jobs, no longer do. Um, just come and stand in my feet, my shoes for a while and see the kind of people, kind of situations that need to be counseled, whether it be anxiety or depression. And, and look at it from this perspective, not just from your perspective of maybe you still have your job and maybe uh, you get to be free to just live outside of all of the pressure most people live under due to these cruel quarantines. To me as a pastor, it seems like the world wants you and I to view the, the exercise of scriptures as selfish. It seems to me that very often, more than very often, the moment you choose to submit yourself to a verse, any of those I've just mentioned, you lack empathy. So now, for me to love my neighbor, I have to disobey a verse. For me to truly be compassionate, I have to ignore scriptures. That's where we are at as a church, worldwide. And I'm shocked, disheartened, yet excited at the same time to see just how the church has dealt with this very sifting that's taking place. To visit a dying parent in the nursing home is now viewed as somebody lacking love. Don't you love them enough to not visit them? Where's your empathy? To gather around in your house for Thanksgiving is now viewed as, that's irresponsible of you. Even though scriptural, it's irresponsible. So let me give you a few examples of how lockdowns can become unscriptural, how lockdowns can become very unloving, how lockdowns, quarantine can be cruel, how quarantine can be irresponsible, and how lockdowns and quarantine and these guidelines can become lacking in empathy and downright, like I mentioned, cruel. I want to introduce you to somebody who I'm very fond of, a young man. And um, <clears throat> so, um, there's a minister by the name Tim Challies, and I think I lost my notes. Did I? Tim Challies is a pastor in Canada. And uh, if you don't follow him, I want to encourage you to. He's an author. I think he's written about 10 books. And November the 13th, which is not too long ago, he wrote this blog. I want to read most of it to you. It says, Today was to be a day of great rejoicing. On August 14, I dropped my son and daughter at their college in Louisville, Kentucky, knowing that with all the border restrictions and quarantine requirements, it was unlikely I would see them again before the close of the semester. We booked their return flights for today, Friday, November the 13th. Friday, November the 13th. This was to be the day of our reunion, and to add joy upon joy, my son's fiance was joining, was going to join them, and uh, though their return would require a two-week quarantine for the whole group of us, six people in our wee little house, we were looking forward to it. We had activities planned. We talked about enjoying some board games, about 
holding a Mario Kart tournament, and even about reading a Shakespeare play together. During the quarantine, it would be a quarantine with purpose, a unique opportunity to enjoy time as a family that was about to grow from five members to six members. We are in quarantine now, but under very different circumstances. Our family has shrunk from five to four. My daughter returned home last weekend. The woman who was to be my sweet new daughter-in-law lost her ability to enter the country when she lost her fiancé. My son returned to Canada yesterday, one day ahead of, this, of the schedule we had set. But instead of coming to our family home, he was transported to a funeral home. And there he will wait until November the 21st when we are released from quarantine and can finally lay his body to rest. He says, there are times when quarantine is necessary. We only, look, we only look as far as the Old Testament law to see that at times the sick need to be separated from the healthy. The healthy was never separated from the healthy. We have to look to the Old Testament to see that to love our neighbor as ourselves is sometimes to keep your neighbor from yourself. We can go as far and understand why at times it is necessary that those who have merely been exposed to an illness, who have traveled through a hotspot, ought to be kept in isolation for duration of the virus's incubation period. We sometimes need to rely on such measures to protect society. I'm thankful I'm not the one having to make those decisions. I've often wondered if those leaders do this with too little precision or too much. It feels like it's been too blunt for me. Having returned home from the United States on the weekend following my son's memorial service at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, my wife and I are now on a 14-day quarantine. This is after the funeral. We have all the provisions we need. We return home to a fridge, freezer, and pantry, literally stuffed with food. We have access to all the provisions we don't need, but may want Uber Eats, Skip the Dishes, Grocery Delivery, and Amazon Prime, which ply through my neighborhood day by day. But what we don't have, and so badly need right now, is access to people. No one can come and pray with us. No one can come and read Scripture to us. No one can come and sing with us. No one can come and just be with us, even though I'm a pastor of a large church. No one can hug us. No one is allowed to cry with us and comfort us in person. And this is sorrow that's been added to my sorrow. He says... My wife and I decided we're going to walk through this grief and lament in faith. He says, it is far above my pay grade and far above any position of leadership I've ever desired for myself to determine whether it's wisdom or folly that Canada has enacted such strict quarantine laws for those who return to this country. There are times in which quarantine is warranted and times in which it is not. There are times when quarantine is an act of kindness and times when it is an act of absolute cruelty. We don't know which is true right now for us. What we do know is that we are learning through our sorrow just how wondrous it is to be a part of something so beautiful, so good, so necessary as the body of Christ. We are learning how devastating it is to be detached from it in our moment of need. I wanted to read to you this paragraph. He says, it is unnatural to be alone in grief. Weep with those who weep can be partially fulfilled through our message, but only actually fulfilled in person. When bodies are clasped together, when tears spill from one person's eyes to another person's shoulders, Romans 12, 15. The church in Corinth was, with, the church in Cor Corinth was to comfort those in affliction by their presence, not by their absence. 
2 Corinthians 1.4. When Paul was downcast and longing to be comforted, it was not Titus's Zoom call that, that, uh, that helped him, but Titus's arrival, 2 Corinthians 7.6. Yes, of course, God comforts us in our time of distress, but God comforts us by means. And oftentimes, the most prominent of those means is the presence of His people. We are, after all, the body of Christ. And just as if one member is honored, all rejoice together. So if one member suffers, all should suffer together. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. Together, not apart, the Bible says. Yet just when my family most needs that togetherness, we've been forced into apartness. Just when my family most needs the body, we have been detached from it completely. So, my heart goes out to Pastor Tim Challies, whose son just fell down dead on the field as they were playing for no reason. He just fell down dead. But there are so many stories like this. People who bury their loved ones over Zoom. People who have to watch their parent die through a window. Here in our church, we have had members, more than one story, but one for sure I want to mention. Members, beloved members of this congregation, leaders in this congregation, whose loved one got sick during COVID, not, not from COVID, but during it. Because of these COVID guidelines, they were restricted from visiting their parent, <clears throat> who was in a nursing home, their mom, beautiful lady. The children got called in to visit their parent only after their parent had already become incoherent just before dying. And so their last moment with their mom was when she was incoherent. They couldn't be with her. The last moments of her giving up the ghost. To love is to take a risk. Who does not understand that? To love is to take a risk. As a matter of fact, to live is to take risks. To be there for somebody while they are passing away is not selfish. Even if it means you have to take a risk of 0.06%, a 0.06% risk of yourself dying, that is if you even have that virus. That's not a big risk to take, to love somebody who is dying. To add to the devastation of these cruelty or these cruel quarantines, according to a senator, because I've been looking for these stats to compare, let's say, suicide of 2019 to suicide of 2020, uh, to compare the effects that COVID has had on, let's say, alcohol abuse and so forth, to find that is hardly impossible. I searched for hours to really get those numbers. But according to a senator that I had to then find, I watched a senator being interviewed this past week, and he claims divorce rate under COVID is up 34%, broken families. Alcohol binge drinking is up 40%. No risk there, folks. Suicide is up 145% during COVID. In July this year, which is a while ago, Illinois already had 2,400 business owners lose their businesses. 2,400 business owners lose their dreams. Down the drain goes their life works, their life's work. Down the drain goes their bread and butter and the opportunity they afforded others to also have bread and butter. All this while a person who contracts COVID has a 99.4% chance of surviving. You might say, well, Jacques, what about the medical doctors? Well, what about them? Are you referring to the medical doctors who say this is that the sky is falling? Or are you referring to the medical doctors that say um, move on? With you? Which doctors are you referring to? Well, what about science? Are you talking about those scientists that don't know the difference between a boy and a girl? Which scientists are you referring to? Well, maybe the, science, the scientists that say the sky is falling or the scientists that disagree with them. Which science 
your signs are the one, uh, based on the scientists you choose to listen to, right? I mean, there's a lot of stuff we choose to listen to that determines how fearful, anxious, and depressed we become. Why do you think people actually commit suicide? Did they just wake up and choose to commit suicide that day? No, that's a road they travel. But I want to say this, though, that, that what I just mentioned here is not my goal for today. We have a different goal, a more lofty one, a divine one, a spiritual one. My goal is to clarify how this uh, affects us as Christians and how we as Christians have applied what has come to us and at us, possibly in a worldly way instead of in a scriptural way. You see, the media wants you to believe that it is dangerous to exercise a scripture during COVID. Like, yeah, no, you should believe in scriptures, but just not right now. It's COVID. The media wants you to believe that you are acting irresponsible when you visit grandma. They can, but you can't. They want you to believe that you lack empathy when you invite people over to your house for Thanksgiving. That's irresponsible of you. Where's your empathy? Your care for people and your love for them. And here is where we differ with the world. I cannot love by breaking a verse. I cannot love the biblical way by ignoring what God has asked me to do. Why do you think people willingly walked to the stake to be burnt for the scriptures they refused to break? <laughs> There's no better way to love God. God, I can't love you right now. It's COVID. The world wants you to believe that you lack empathy when you invite people to Thanksgiving. When I heard that, I wanted to run through walls. Because I want you to stand in my shoes for a while and realize that, yeah, there's, there, there, there's a tremendous amount of cruelties taking place in the name of love. Their love. In the name of empathy, their definition of empathy. Yeah. And it's time for us to open our eyes to that. I'm not saying there's no such thing as COVID. I'm not saying there's no such thing as illness. I'm not saying people aren't dying from it. I'm just asking, like, what are we doing with what's been handed to us? The life that, that we are in, that's what I'm referring to. I can talk to you all day about inconsistencies and the insanity that exists. It's not safe to eat in a restaurant. It is safe to eat in an airplane. It is uh, not safe to sit in a restaurant, but it is safe to sit in a tent next to that restaurant. It is not safe for you to leave your home, but it is safe for the governor's family to vacation in Florida. You have to Zoom call your loved ones for Thanksgiving while lawmakers take their families to Hawaii for vacation. Honestly, the hypocrisy and insanity is too much to bear. I, I, I actually can't do it. And I'm, and I'm amazed. I'm totally amazed, flabbergasted at how the world just accepts it and even the church. Consider that everybody's attempting to do the safe thing. Everybody wants to, well, what's safe? Well, what's safe? What's wise? Okay, well, as a pastor, as a Bible teacher, let's see, where is the safest place for you and any human to scripturally be? What does the Bible say is the safest thing for you to do? I'm thinking of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How did they consider what would be the safest thing for me to do? I was thinking of Daniel. Don't pray. Okay, well, let me think. What's the safest thing for me to do? Let's ask the question, what is the safest thing for you and I as a, human, as, a, as a believer to do on this earth? Well, the safest possible place for you is your father's care. Because your father holds you in his hand and nobody, nobody can frustrate or 
His purposes for you or take you out of His hand. Nobody can do that. Nobody can override God in your life. The safest possible place for you is in your Father's care. The safest possible relationship you could have is with your good shepherd who leads you. Well, Jesus, I can't, I can't go there right now. It's COVID, so I'll have to go here and stay. I can't li- be led by you. But the, I'm telling you, family of God, the safest thing for us to do is to be led by the shepherd. The safest possible position you could be in is under the protection of your king's decree. You see, there are two governments, right? There's a civil government, and then there's a kingdom of God. Our civil government has leaders, and those positions were created by God. God raises up one, and God brings down another, and that's all God's doing. But then there's a kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is different. Kingdom means there's a domain ruled over by a king. And Jesus be that king, and you and I are in that kingdom. He is our ultimate authority. We live within that domain. So there are two governments, and the Bible says the government shall be upon his shoulder. We are ultimately responsible to our ultimate governor or our ultimate king, and that's Jesus. Christ, not Caesar, is our king. He rules us. So we see Jesus himself. I think it's getting too cold there. So... I, so we see Jesus going on a 40-day uh, fast, right? Goes into the desert. As he's going through this 40-day fast, on the 40th day, the Bible says Jesus really became hungry. Satan saw an opportunity, and he came and he started tempting Jesus. Here we see Satan attempting to invade Jesus' life. And we know that Satan wants to invade your life and our families and our community and our country and this world. That's his goal, to invade. So we can take from this portion, what did Jesus do in order to stay safe from the satanic invasion into his life? What did he do? This is what he's teaching us to also do in that way we ought to follow him, right? And so here we see in Matthew 4 verse 1 through 11... Satan comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, who's now very hungry, hey, why don't you take those rocks and turn them into bread? Satisfy your hunger. Jesus says, verse 4, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Later on, Satan came back to him and tempted him again, saying to to him, hey, listen, why don't you throw yourself down from this pinnacle of the temple and then call out to the angels and let them catch you? Because the Bible says you want to dash your foot against a stone. Let the angels catch you and protect you. Jesus responds, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan comes back to him a third time. He says to him, okay, Look at all the nations of the world, all the kingdoms of earth. If you fall down on your knees and worship me, I will give you all of that. Jesus responds, Go away, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Then the devil left him. What do we learn here? Well, I was raised and I've taught and I've believed and I've practiced that in order to stop Satan from invading your life, when he comes with a temptation, you quote a scripture. And he tries from a different angle and you quote a scripture and that's how you fight him, right? But I want to bring to you this idea that Christ did not overcome Satan simply by quoting a verse at the devil but by submitting himself to that very verse that he was quoting. When Satan came to Jesus and said, follow me please. When Satan came to Jesus and said, why don't you turn that rock into bread? Could he do it? Of course he could. He can make rocks praise him. He can do anything. He's God. Why didn't he do it? Because the verse tells him not to. The verse says, You will not live by bread alone. So he took a verse and he submitted himself to it and Satan was defeated in his life. 
Then Satan comes to him a second time and says to him, okay, now why don't you throw yourself off the pinnacle of this temple and let call angels, let them come and catch you. He could have done it, but he didn't. Why not? Because the verse says, don't test God that way. And he didn't. He could have, but he did not. And Satan was dispelled. You know, it's one thing to say, well, he, he, chased, Satan, he chased Satan with the scripture. And then he went and turned that rock into bread and satisfied himself. And he chased Satan with the scripture. And then what he did was, you know, he did throw himself down and called angels to catch him. And, you know, that wouldn't, you see, that wouldn't have protected him. The protection that he had from the invasion of Satan into his life was the fact that he gave himself to a scripture. He actually, he actually obeyed that scripture that he quoted. He didn't break it. He obeyed it. And then Satan comes and says, okay, well, if you fall down and worship me, I'll give you everything. Could he have done it? Yes, he could have. Did he? No, he did not. Why? Because that's what the verse told him not to do. So when he gave himself to a verse, this is key, when he gave himself to it, he was protected by the verse that he gave himself to. And here is God's decree. A king rules in a kingdom how? By making a decree. We have a king, Jesus, and he rules over his domain. That's why we are in his kingdom. How does he rule? By his spoken word. How do you stay under the protection of your king? By submitting you to his decree. By submitting yourself to his decree. And that's exactly what God did with, Jesus did with his father. Your safest position in life is submitting yourself to scriptures and living out the scriptures that you submit yourself to, even if those scriptures do not comply with Illinois COVID guidelines. Your safest possible place is submitting yourself to the word of God. And you might say, well, that's not safe for right now. Well, it is safe for eternity, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it's easy to live without God. Not so to die without him. What's your safest thing to do is to actually give yourself to scriptures. Oh, Jacques, the Bible says in Romans 3, 3 verse, you know, or 13 verse 1, every person should subject themselves to the governing authorities, submit to the governing authorities. This is true. And you know, I, I, I preach that. But that is never to be the case when they regulate your scriptural directives, when they change your obedience to a scripture, then it's not true. You submit, if they, if, they, if they tax you, you pay your taxes, Jesus says. I submit myself to the civil government, but never at the expense of submitting myself to my eternal government. That's who I submit myself to. And when I do submit myself to the king's decree, it's the safest place I could ever be here and eternity. In other words, it is never the case, submitting myself to a local authority is never the case when they're telling you to break a scripture and not to obey a scripture. You say, well, where's that in the Bible? It's in Acts 5, chapter 5, verse 27. Acts 5, chapter 27. I'll give you a little background quick. So here is Peter, the apostles, and they're preaching in Jesus' name. The authorities capture them, throw them in prison. Never preach again in that name. Never. Well, guess what happened? God supernaturally releases them from prison, not by opening the gates or anything, just by, just by taking them from inside of the prison and putting them outside of the prison. The next morning, the guards were still standing, guarding the gates, only to find out that the prisoners weren't in there. Everything intact, but the prisoners are gone. Where are they? So they go and they look for these prisoners that escaped, these apostles. And they, get, and they find them where? In the marketplace. Doing what? Preaching in Jesus' name. The very thing they were told not to do, the very thing they did, therefore they were thrown in prison, they supernaturally escaped, and here they are doing the very same thing. So they catch them again. And here is where we pick up on this verse. Verse 27, it says, When they had brought them back, they had them stand before the council, the high priest interrogated them saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So they're saying, you guys are out there preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. Are you telling everybody that that man whom 
We crucified. His blood is on our hands. In other words, you're stirring people up against us. How dare you? <laughs> Guess what they said? Verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered this. We must obey God rather than man. So thank you so much, you know, for, for repeating yourself a third time. <laughs> but just so you know, you know, we've made our decision, so now you make yours. We must obey God rather than man. End of story, period. The safest possible place for me, eternally speaking, is I'm going to obey God. I refuse to break a verse in order to obey a governor who loves to not obey their own decrees, own decrees. I refuse <laughs> to break a verse and pretend like I'm loving when in fact I know it's not. I refuse to live in the insanity of this massive theater where you don't have to do scriptures. You don't have to do scriptures because, you know, it's dangerous. You stand a 99.4% chance of making it. The risk is way too high. Don't obey a verse. Well, you know, you cannot let the government tell you how to love your neighbor and think that you still remain biblical. <laughs> if you let the governor define for you what it means to love your neighbor, you know you're no longer loving your neighbor the, the scriptural way. Impossible. That is not the way to love your neighbor. Number two, it is impossible to let the media define how to relate to your family and still have a scriptural family. You know, they've gone so far out of their way to destroy the family unit. And now just do a Zoom Thanksgiving. I know some of you are really concerned about what I'm saying. Hear me out. Number three, you cannot let the politicians educate you in life and think that you are not being conformed to the ways of this world. The Bible says that we have to be transformed. How about the renewing of our mind? And you cannot be transformed, stay transformed if you keep on allowing politicians to tell you how to live. I'm not saying break the laws. I'm just saying don't break a scripture because that is eternal law. Ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Ask Daniel. Ask Peter. Ask Paul. Every one of the examples that God has given you is your example for hard times, not necessarily for easy times. Number four, we cannot rely on the government to inform us on how to be the church. You can go to church, but there's only allowed to be three people in your building. You can go to church, but you're not allowed to sing. You can go to church, but, you know, here's a list of... I, I was laughing. I, I, you know, in Grace Community Church in California received their list of guidelines they had to, they had to um, you know, obey. It was, it, when, when it was read off on stage, everybody, they were rolling in the aisles. Just how ridiculous and insane those measures were. If you want to study it more, you can go and search out Supreme Court Justice Alito two weeks ago, gave a speech, and he warned you and I of just this. So thank God for God-fearing Supreme Court justices. Thank God for this country that has rules that are ruled by the rules, not by rulers. And rulers who attempt to enforce their rules is not your government. So we cannot rely on government to inform us on how to be the church. They don't define what the church is. They don't define what the church is responsible for. They are not the church. 
As a matter of fact, we believe in separation of church and state. Oh, really? Yeah, we, of course we do. You know where that came from? Now, I'm not saying who penned it. I'm telling you where the idea came from. The idea came from when, when they broke free from the state church because they realized that the real church of Jesus Christ was defined by scriptures and not by the state. And then when they broke free from that, when they reformed, and they said, actually, that's not a church. Those are tyrants. Heretical tyrants. When they realized that, they said, well, this is a church. Those who live with one another inside of biblical parameters, this is the church, and this church needs to be protected from that. And so they came up with the idea that there needs to be a separation because there are two, there are two governments. There's the civil government, and then there's a kingdom of God, and we answer to the kingdom of God. Therefore, there has to be a separation so that the state doesn't infringe upon the church's rights. Amen. So we believe in that. That's why we want to encourage you. Open your church. Go to a church. Because you answer to God. Be the church at home during Thanksgiving. Be the church during Christmas. You know, one of the reasons this is so big for me, let me just tell you, if we are already at a 145% increase in suicide rates, what do you think happens during Thanksgiving? This is, a, this is a pandemic. Do you realize how, many, how long people go before they actually hang that noose and tie it around their neck? Do you know what hell they go through before they get there? And you don't care? You have no empathy for that? Do you know the hell that they go through for, for months on end? The torment, the darkness, the evil, the demonic oppression that they experience months prior to pulling that trigger. And you have no empathy for that? You have no love in your heart toward that? To take a 0.04% risk you have no love enough. And we only coming to Thanksgiving now. Guess what happens after Thanksgiving? Christmas. Christmas. This is when suicides peak every single year, historically. What do you think is going to happen this year? Does your heart not break? I'm concerned that COVID has captured the thoughts, that COVID has captured the minds, and COVID has captured the conscience of the church. And we're just walking right through it. Just with, everybody's going this way. Okay, let's go this way. Everybody's turning left. Oh, we'll turn left. The church of Jesus Christ, the hope of the world, and they shut down everywhere. You know why? Look, if we got $5.5 million from the government, we probably too would have to stay closed. But we don't. And we're not interested. We're not going to live out of their hand. Why do you think churches are still closed? I got people coming in here and they go like, yeah. I said, hey, did your pastor open your church yet? Down the street, he goes, oh, no, no. The guy goes, no. It's, you know, the government won't let them. I'm like, you're standing in church with me. What are you talking about? Here we are. We have a church. <laughs> your pastor says the government won't let you. I'll let the police know. I'll let, the, I'll let everybody know. We're having church. And you're welcome to come if you want. Three times. I let the village know. Three times I let the police know. And you know what they said? All the best to you, sir. Pastors go, oh, you know, no, they won't let us. No, they, you can open your church. You should open your business. You need to go out and you need to love on your family. 
And you need to make sure that you get that opportunity to minister to the person you get the opportunity to minister to. So I'm concerned that COVID has captured the minds of church people. And I do not believe that it's the right thing for the church to be preoccupied with COVID. I do not believe it's the right thing for church people, believers, to glorify COVID the way they glorify it. There is no denying COVID is a real thing. I'm not saying that it's that's fake. It's a real thing. People really get sick from it. People really die from it. There's no denying that. I simply believe it's wrong to give it the prominence that it's been given. Uh, we are not to build our lives around COVID. We are to build our lives around scriptures, God's divine mandates for our lives without any reason to live contrary to it. Any reason. Christians of old would walk to that fire. And there's story after story. Buy Fox's Book of Martyrs and read it. It's fantastic, especially if you have children. Read the stories of how they saw it an honor to die for their Lord. Glorifying God in death, they find life. Singing hymns and psalms on their way there. Refusing to recant. Well, didn't you know that there's a risk involved? Oh yeah, we know the risk. <laughs> we know that risk. And we're excited. Our minds have become soft. I simply believe it's wrong to give it the prominence that we have. Luke 19, 13 Jesus says these words, occupy until I come, occupy until I come, occupy until I come. Don't, don't resign, occupy. Don't just sit home and flip through the channels now, what else am I going to do? I'm just waiting for my next check in the mail. No, occupy until I come, even if you get no check, occupy until I come. Oh, we couldn't, it was COVID. The amount of scriptures we break in order to be in good standing with non-laws. Those are just guidelines. It's amazing. Absolutely everything we do in life has a risk factor. When this, did you know that when the speed limit, when the speed limit is raised 5%, uh, five, 5 miles per hour or even 10 miles per hour, that there's a risk factor involved, right? That risk factor have been so clearly defined that and Chris, you, you may be able to, to help me even with this, but when they go from 55 miles an hour and they raise that speed limit to 65 miles an hour in interstate, they can project the increase, the death count at the end of the year. And they do still increase the speed limits. And they should. We, we live in a world filled with risks. You go, oh, that's cruel, Jacques, that's cruel. Well, we cannot shut down every, every, every single part of life that presents a risk factor. If we have to shut down every single part of life that offers a risk factor, then we, shut, then we should actually shut down interstates altogether. There's a risk, even if it's not 65 miles, even if it's 55, or even if it's 45, there's always that risk. There's a risk in everything you do. If you want to shut down anything that has a risk... Well, then not interstate should be shut down, but all travel should be shut down completely so that there is no risk in travel. Here's another thing. Pull all alcohol from the shelves and make it 100% illegal. There's a risk involved. Make it illegal completely. The moment I mention that point, I just won over 90% of the audience. It's like, oh, I see. Okay, yeah, no, you're right. No, we shouldn't. <laughs> Cancel all contact sports. There's a risk involved. How about since people die from heart attacks due to high cholesterol, make, the fri make fried foods illegal. Why don't we do that? There's a risk involved there, including that Christian-based company, Chick-fil-A. Just shut it down. There's a risk involved. Another one of the highest causes of death is sugar diabetes. 
Well, you know, which means we will have to make all sugar illegal, including bread and pasta, and suddenly I won over all the Italians. <laughs> okay, no, you're right, you're right. You cannot shut down life because there's risk involved. You cannot shut down love because there's risk involved. Let's go to Jesus and ask Him if you have to decide not to love because there's a risk. What has happened to our minds? Why do we think the way we do? I'll tell you why. Politics. Politicians, let me say it that way. News media. Where you find your truth from people who have subjective truths instead of finding your truth from an objective truth, which is the Word of God itself. Just because Governor Cuomo said, even if we have to shut down everything just to save one life, we're doing the right thing. No, you're not. Shut down travel, if that's the case. Shut down everything. How about Oregon making all drugs okay now? <laughs> you can snort cocaine, just not with a plastic straw. <laughs> it's more sad than what it is actually, you know, funny. It's, I mean, it is true. You'll get into trouble if you use a stinking plastic straw. Unbelievable. What has happened? Let me just tell you, insanity has to do with a broken spirit. You can go read through chapter, Romans chapter 1. It explains it very clearly where insanity comes from. The preoccupation with COVID has caused people to give themselves to fear instead of to God. To sit around waiting for life to happen instead of them going on with their lives as God has called them to occupy. Do not waste your life, ever. Not before COVID, not during COVID, and not after COVID. Are you, is it ever okay to waste the life God has given you? on fear, anxiety, and giving up scriptures in order to obey guidelines. God has measured the days of your life. God has measured the days of your life. God has measured the days of your life. Psalm 139 verse 16, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. You know, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And you want to tell me abortion's okay? Your eyes have seen me in my unborn substance. And in your book were written all the days that were appointed for me. In your book was written all the days that were appointed for me. When as yet there was not, listen to this, when as yet there was not one of them. All the days that you appointed, that God appointed for you have been written down. And when was it written down? Long before the first one happened. Job 15.4, since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you. Since his days are determined, man, the number of his months are with you, God. Why are we fearful? Because we don't trust God. That's why. Because we don't trust God. Don't ever waste your life. Not a bit of it. So you might say, Jacques, I have a bad immune system. Jacques, I have other issues, other relatable physical issues. Yeah, you don't. You don't suddenly become a child because the government becomes big. You don't suddenly be, have no responsibility and you, you wait for them to tell you what to No, you're a responsible adult, right? <laughs> you do what is right for you. There are certain things I can no longer do now that I am 48. I used to be able to do stuff, Chris. <laughs> 
Like two years ago, I used to be able to do stuff I can't even do today anymore. <laughs> I have to be responsible with the life that I currently have. You have to be responsible with the life you currently have, and you don't need Lightfoot to tell you what that is. And I'm talking scripturally. I am responsible for what I know, for what the scriptures tell me. And I will stand before God for what I did with that, no matter what they told me. I will stand before God with what I did with that. So be responsible, not fearful. Be responsible with where you're at. Be obedient, not fearful. Be obedient, because when you submit to the very scripture you're quoting Satan, that's when you overcome him. Don't test God. Worship him and him alone. You will not, eat, you will not live on, on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Submit yourself to these scriptures. Love your neighbor. If a man doesn't eat, he will not, uh, if a man doesn't work, he will not eat. I mean, there's, I can tell you that there are, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of scriptures that come to mind as to how very sinisterly COVID makes you break them with a clear conscience. I think evil has entered the church. We have, we, we have no idea what just happened. We have no idea what just happened. Be responsible, not fearful. I'm not telling you that if you're sick, you have to go. No, be responsible. Stay home if you're sick. But don't make healthy people experience the cruelty of quarantine. Be obedient, not fearful. Then finally, be a light, but never, never be anxious. Be a light, but never be anxious. You shine your light and make sure every month that has been appointed you, before the first day started, every month is going to be you shining the light of God's truth everywhere, in every opportunity you have. Amen? Amen. Let's give the Lord a praise. Thank you, Lord.